Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi there, I'm Brian Abana, and you're listening to the Mall Over Codpast. Hello and welcome to this week's Mall Over Podcast. The Edinburgh Podcast gives you the news, views and opinion on the weekend's rugby action. All with a West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Mall Over Podcast, Mall Over Rugby Podcast on Facebook. And we are now a part of the Sports Podcast Network, uh, a network of sports podcasts, and surprisingly, uh, of all sorts of genres and uh, sports and all sorts of different stuff for your perusal. So make sure you go check that out. Um, this week, I am joined by the handsome farm vet. Welcome. Hello. Hi. He's dropped the hello ladies. And, uh, no, no, it's just hello now. It's just hello now. Um, and Ben, you may have heard Ben just having a quick cough in the, cough in the background. Yeah. You right there, mate? Yeah, just choking to death in my own time. <laughs> yeah, just don't disturb the podcast, all right? Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So uh, there's loads of stuff to get through tonight. Um, I wanted to start off on a slightly, uh, slightly sombre note. Um, and I know we had rugby against cancer. We did our um, rugby against cancer charity match in October. and We managed to raise quite a considerable amount of money. Um, and the reason we do that is to help people uh, in, the, in the rugby community support families and, and, and support people who have been diagnosed with cancer, who are involved in the rugby community. And unfortunately, uh, over the weekend, a close friend of mine, um, who I played in a uh, beach rugby tournament with in the summer of last year, perfectly, you know, at the time, seemingly perfectly help, uh, healthy and, and happy uh, in August last year. Um, unfortunately, he lost his battle with bowel cancer over the weekend. And he was a big figurehead for Western Hornets, Phil Hogarth, um, a real uh, stalwart of a club, um, a clubman for, for Western Supermare Hornets. And uh, it'll be greatly missed. Um, I know the the outpour and support throughout the rugby community locally and around the Western area. Um, but it just goes to show that 
in a very short space of time, somebody who appears very healthy can can deteriorate quite rapidly. So a bit of a sad weekend, um, but the the rugby um, the rugby fraternity all, all clubbed in and, and they've already raised lots of money um, in support for for Phil's family and uh, through Western Hornets. I know that they're gonna they're gonna be streaming um, his service on the twenty fifth of February uh, at the Hornets clubhouse. Um, so anybody that is local and and listens to this, make sure you get along there, support, have a drink, and raise a glass to uh, Hollywood Phil Hogarth, who was an absolute legend. So sorry to start off on a bit of a downer, but I wanted to recognise him because he was uh, he was an absolute legend and uh, made me really sad at the weekend. So um, there you go, rest in peace, Phil. Go well, mate. Um, yeah, I don't don't really know what to to follow that with. Well... I don't. I don't think you really need to follow it with anything much, Russ. Um, I think we've all uh, we've all been in a situation where we've had people who've been either close to us or or just kind of strong acquaintances that that have been hit by things that have have taken them far too soon, and it's it's never nice. And I suppose that's the one of the the strong points of rugby is that everybody will come yeah. together as a community and do what they can. For, yeah. for friends and family yeah uh, and and i tell you what i'm gonna i'll move on with something actually that's just just popped into my head that last week uh, i don't know if you remember ben um that i mentioned a guy who i'd met at a works conference called alex bull or i said uh, i need to issue a correction here um i said that alex played for old reds now alex didn't play for old reds he actually played for cleave um which he swiftly told me later in the week um, but not before friend of the pod, um, George Ferris had messaged me to say that Alex Cleave, uh, Alex Ball from Cleave, he was the one that smashed my shoulder up when I played for Dings with a late hit. So, <laughs> so and so then straight away we had this this strange connection because Alex had told me this story about when he got married in Cornwall and he was on the piss in Nuki the day after his wedding, basically leaving his wife and family to do whatever and he he went on the smash he was actually on the piss with george which it's small it's a small world and anyway the rugby community um and then as it transpires i was in bristol on on saturday watching the rugby with a friend of mine a very good friend of mine uh and a cut and and he uh we got chatting and ben roberts is his name he listens to the podcast as well he said oh i used to play rugby for cleave I said, oh, do you know, do you know Alex Bull? He went, oh yeah, yeah, he's one of my best mates. Um, so the the circle was very much complete at that point, where I'd met I'd met Alex in Exeter, um, who had then been on the piss with George in Newquay, who was also very good friends with a mate of mine who lives in Bristol. And I had no idea about any of this, but the correction is obviously Alex played for Cleve and not Old Reds. He was very unhappy about me saying that he played for Old Reds, which is hardly surprising. Well, nobody in their right mind would own up to playing for Old Reds. That's, that, that's true. Um, but if you are play, if you do play for Old Reds uh, and you are listening, then you know, well done because you are a great bunch of guys. <laughs> please, please, please don't, <laughs> please don't find me. Um, Right. I mean, I've, I've, ta- I've talked a lot in the opening period of this podcast. 
Um, and before we get on to the Six Nations stuff. Yeah, if you're going to list everybody you know, it might take a while. <laughs> I'm kind of a big deal, Ben. Um, uh, before, before we get into England, Scotland, um, I've came across something today and it was brought to my attention um, on Twitter. There is an account called the Rayburn Shield. I don't know if you uh, have ever heard of this. Um, it's basically a, a linear title for a not even say the best team but a team who has beaten the team that holds it before almost like the, the heavyweight title of champion of the world i guess so it, a team up until this saturday uh england were the holders of the rayburn shield having beaten south africa uh in the autumn um but i caught up with david uh Algy, who was uh you kind of come up with this concept right from the very start of international rugby in 1871. He's tracked it all the way through to today. Um, and he's coming up with some, some great ideas. So I caught up with him a little while ago who uh, decided to told me all about it. So as mentioned, I'm here with David who is probably better known to most of you on Twitter. If you haven't already discovered him as a, uh, at Rayburn Shield. Um, welcome to Mallover, David. How are you? Ah, thank you. Welcome. I'm, I'm pleased to be here. Uh, Honoured that you invited me along. Oh, I mean, we don't have many guests. <laughs> um, I mean, that, and that's not usually by design. I mean, not many people just want to come on. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a pleasure I'm, I'm to have easy. you. And since, and since you, um, you reached out to us on Twitter earlier about mentioning yeah. the Rayburn Shield, um, I thought, well, what better than me trying to explain it to people? Uh, why not talk to you about it, and and you can you can explain the premise and and how you've, I say you've you've come up with it, but I guess it's you know it's something that's been ongoing for a number of years, and you're you're taking on the mantle to highlight it. Yeah, well, it's a funny one actually. In some ways, we came up with it, as in it didn't exist at all, um, yeah. but we recognised what it was. Let me start with what it is. So, like, the first international rugby match was in 1871 between England and Scotland, played at Rayburn Place in Edinburgh, and Scotland won. And if you just imagine that they're like your, like your boxing title holder, like they're the world champ. So whoever beats them takes the title off them. And so the following year, in 1872, they played England. England won that time, and they took the Rayburn Shield, if it had have existed. Um, and then, you know, so on, it's changed hands over time. And whoever holds it just has to defend it. It's really hard to do. Um, would have changed hands like 207 times now. You know, and some teams have held it for a long time. The great All Blacks team of the late 1980s held it for 17 matches in a row, which is the, the record. But some have held it for once. So Scotland held it for one game in last November before losing it to England. Uh, sorry, before using it to, to the Springboks, who lost it to England. And England on the weekend just lost to Scotland. So Scotland have got it back again. Uh, they are currently the Rayburn Shield holders. Amazing. And and the goal, I guess, is to get world rugby to, to kind of recognize the Rayburn Shield as a as as a legitimate thing, as a as an actual uh, competition, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So in the long term, I think we will get world rugby to recognize it. I'll be honest, they're sort of irrelevant at the moment because really it's about the fans, right? Like rugby's more fun when all nations are competing for the same prize. So it's just, it's way more fun when that four year period, you're all competing for the same same prize and this fills that gap. And there's no reason why we can't enjoy it because although it's not officially recognized, what it tracks is very real. And so, so we do keep track of it. And of course it's the same in the women's game. So the first women's game was in 1982 
which is much more recent, between France and the Netherlands and Utrecht. So the Utrecht Shield is uh, the women's equivalent. Um, and England actually hold that at the moment, though, and I can't see anyone taking it off them. That Red Roses side is spectacular. Yeah, well, not for a little while anyway, not until, I mean, there's a Women's World Cup. <laughs> yeah, there is, but no one's, no one's probably beaten them at that either. They're, um, <laughs> and they are good, aren't they? They're special gravy. So, you know, you mentioned uh, New Zealand, the, uh, they had a 17-match winning streak. Yeah. What what other sort of interesting facts are there about the rugby? Like the most obscure, obscure countries that may have held yeah, the rugby yeah. shield? So Romania held it in the mid 1980s um, for one match, which is surprising. I mean, I would have never picked them to hold a world world title of any kind. Uh, Argentina have held it. Japan actually have held it a couple of times in recent years, um, and they also have not only held it but defended it. So wow. that's the that's the thing, right? Like it's exciting to win it. But holding on to it for any length of time is really hard to do. And so Japan have managed three matches in a row, which is, you know, that's ultimately the challenge is first off to become a Rayburn Shield holder. And, and there's a few nations who have done that, you know, the ones you'd expect, England, Scotland, South Africa, Australia. Um, but but it's a matter of, of defending it. And so Samoa, for instance, won it in 1999. They they won it during that Rugby World Cup. And that, that big shock that they had actually was a Rayburn Shield match, it turns out. <laughs> uh, and they would have been holders had it been recognised. Yeah. You know? And so there's all these extra threads of interest that come through. And, w- and what I loved was in the in the autumn in November when England um, England and South Africa were playing, the Raven Shield was on the line. And I had a few Scotsmen online on Twitter saying, "I really, really want England to win this," uh, because they knew they'd get the first. Because they could take it. Yeah, they could take it straight back from us. Exactly, and that's the beauty, right? Is that it gives you that investment. And so I, I produce sometimes a thing that shows you where the shield might go in the next few matches. Yeah. And so, like you know, in the in the Six Nations, anyone could probably get to it, you know, because actually Wales are going to get a chance to challenge for it now. But then after that, if Scotland managed to keep it, France get the next challenge, and then after that, it's Italy and then Ireland. But of course, if Wales beat them up front, then I think Wales play England after that. So it could go. So there's like this mental chess game of who in the earth is going to get a challenge. And if you're a Southern Hemisphere fan, and I'm I'm a Kiwi, I actually live in Twickenham, but uh, I'm a Kiwi boy. Uh, and you know, you're looking at it going, well, who can take it away on a summer tour? So actually, I wouldn't mind Ireland getting hold of it because they come to New Zealand in June. Yeah. Uh, you know, and actually, the All Blacks haven't held it since 2017. You know. Haven't even had a shot I, since 2018. Because that, a lot of it, I guess, then comes back to circumstances, doesn't it? Because if there's no fixture scheduled yeah. against the, against the the title holder, against the champ, yeah. then you then you're not going to get a shot. Like yeah, it's just Britain, dumb luck. Yeah, because like you say, Scotland Wales, uh, Scotland go to Wales on on Saturday. Yeah, and if Wales win, then France aren't going to get a shot potentially until when they play yeah. Wales. Well, but they get they might get a shot if they play Wales. They're going to play yeah. Wales in the Six Nations. But if it's not straight away, I mean, I, don't, I can't remember what the fixtures look like. But if they're not playing Wales straight away, then it could go to somebody else. Yeah. That the yeah. so the France miss out completely. And, it's and so like you think about it like so the All Blacks are a really good example at the moment. They haven't even had a shot since 2018. And you imagine you're an All Blacks player, you win all sorts of things. That's great. But if this was really acknowledged and known about, when you finally got your shot at the Rayburn Shield, you might only have two years in the jersey. When they finally get a shot at it, it's a big moment, right? Because you either yeah. take it or you don't. Um, and it, and it, as it comes through, and I think New Zealanders are quite familiar with it because we have something in our provincial game called the Ramfilly Shield. 
And it's very similar. It's just the only defender at home. So Kiwis often get this immediately because they know that vibe. The Ramfilly Shield is huge. Teams like grow an extra leg and and eat red meat all week to make sure they're well up for it. You know, like it's it's a serious thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so this could have that same vibe in international rugby. And I think once people, you know, kind of get into it and, and join all the dots and go, oh, I get what this is, it becomes this like exciting thread through the game, you know? Yeah. Is there anywhere like is there a website or is there is there have you got stuff that that people can go and visit to, to yeah, look at yeah, the history yeah. to do you know do you know the biggest thing is is that I am trying to build momentum with the fans so anyone who can follow or support us on social media we're on Twitter we're on Facebook we're on Instagram heck I joined TikTok because they um <laughs> they've got the six women six nations now and we don't have real shields shields I've got a like Fomex version of the Utrecht shield here. Cool. And I took that, made that, and took it to one of the Red Roses games in November, and I got them to sign it. So it's pretty cool. I've got a load of pictures of the Red Roses holding a replica. What I'm actually about to do is make a real shield. Um, you know, so I bought myself some more kit. I'm going to make, for instance, the uh, the Rayburn shield be made out of Scottish oak in honour of the first holders, Scotland, and the Utrecht shield will be made out of French oak in honour of the first holders, France. Um, you know, and then we'll inscribe on it. And I think. In order to help fund all that, I'll give people the chance to pay to have their name inscribed on the back of those shields so you can be a part of rugby history. But that's Amazing. all to come. You know, that's all to come. And I think over time, and I've been doing this since 2008, it was a bunch of us on a rugby forum who are a bit sad about the All Blacks losing a Rugby World Cup again. Oh, they're going, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way to track success. <laughs> yeah. The you lineal know. champ. The lineal yeah. champs. We're like, we're like, there's got to be a better way. We've got to, you know. And so we all thought it was fun. But me being me, I was like, actually, this is good. This this needs to exist. Yeah. And so I've been running it ever since. Um, I, I can't believe it's the first, the first time I've kind of heard of it. And it is absolutely exceptional. I absolutely love the premise. Yeah. I love the idea of it. It it's so simple to yeah. to understand even like even when we first started speaking before before we start recording i said like i still don't kind of understand it and then you explained it to me and i was like ah yeah actually it's exactly like that yeah and and to know how quickly it can change hands if you're aware of the fixtures if you're aware of where where the rayburn shield sits yeah you can really you can really invest in it and i think you know especially through this throughout the six nations yeah. you know yeah. for the scottish fans and and it's it's a real opportunity to to gain some traction for for you as well which is yeah, you know, yeah. the more oh, people yeah, that, that can get involved it makes a huge difference actually when there's games on so like during the pandemic it was hard because there was no games um and south africa didn't play during 2020 um they stepped yeah. out of everything so it was tricky but it's really nice having them back again now you know, and there's different things for different nations, right? So, like, South Africa, they've held it for the longest if you take it by days because yeah. they held it through World War Two, and there wasn't many games being played at that point, <laughs> you know. So so they held it through, I think, from, like, 1939 till 1953. Yeah. Insane period of time, but, you know, for good reason. And then you've got all these different records that kind of can come through. First holders were Scotland, obviously, England after that, and then, you know, kind of Wales and Ireland played in, I think, the box first held in about 1907 and, and the All Blacks actually never held it until like 1923 was the first time. So there's like this rich history that exists if we choose to recognize it. Yeah. Uh, and so that's a nice thing. And what I also really love is that I'm a, I'm a big fan of the women's game. Huge fan. You know, I just, it's rugby, right? It's all rugby. Uh, and, I, and I enjoy it. And so I love the fact that the Utrecht Shield and the Rayburn Shield can kind of stand side by side 
and it's like that shared experience through both of our games. Um, and, and I'm really excited. And actually, this year is 40 years of international women's rugby um, in June. So in, in June, it'll be 40 years. And so I'm hoping to have the shield for the Utrecht Shield built first and ready for June so that we can do some cool things around that 40-year anniversary. That's uh, amazing. I mean, it, it just, it sounds incredible and if people can throw the support behind it even like say just by following and sharing and retweeting and all of that sort of stuff um on twitter you are at rayburn shield yeah we keep it real simple at rayburn shield and at utrecht shield um and we're that everywhere uh so fortunately they're not common terms so i've been able to secure them all (laughs) yeah absolutely and we'll and we'll you know we'll retweet and we'll we'll share all of your all of the stuff as well and you know if people is there is there a website or anything or can you get yeah, through so through the I, twitter through the social media no i've got ravenshield.com and uh and utrecht shield i've got both of them so yeah anything where people can come through we're even on wikipedia so it's almost like we're real yeah you know, <laughs> you, you are absolutely real and, and it's an amazing <laughs> thing and the fact that it's now belongs to scotland um Hurts me, hurts me deep. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Something you never knew about, and all of a sudden yeah. it's like, oh well, that sucks. We've lost that. <laughs> it's just a, just a, a, a tip off to the to another disappointing weekend for English rugby. <laughs> um, but and, you know, it's not nearly as disappointing as me. I'm a New Zealander, and my seven year old tells me he wants to wear an England shirt. Oh, you don't know no. true disappointment till you hear that. You know? <laughs> but then, though, I suppose living in Twickenham. In the shadow of the the yeah, stadium, it's probably better, probably all he's ever known. Yeah, what are you going to do? You know, like it's, uh, he's like, Dad, I'm born here. I'm like, I know, I know. Great regrets <laughs> and all that, mate. Ah, <laughs> uh, never mind. Listen, David, it has been yeah, absolutely brilliant to meet you. Um, best of luck with everything. We will, like I say, we will share everything. We will get behind it. If there's anything we can do, um, maybe we'll like we'll get on uh, something in the summer. Yeah, and, yeah, and we'll talk to you again with regards to the Utrecht Shield and. Yeah, find out how you're getting on and, and how you're getting on with the making of the of the shields. That's amazing. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me along. And uh, anyone who, who enjoys the concept, your support's appreciated because this is about the fans, the players. It's about us enjoying it. Maybe World Rugby recognise it in the future. Who cares about them? It's about us enjoying the game. Yeah. And, and it absolutely is a, a fan thing. And from the minute that I started looking at it earlier on this afternoon, I was like, my God, this is amazing. So let's all get behind it. Um, Thank you very much, David, and we will speak to you pretty soon. Right. Cheers, Cheers mate. mate. Thank you. Bye-bye. I mean, that that's pretty cool. I like, you know, I love the idea of it. I just, I hate the idea of the fact that Scotland have taken it off of us this weekend. Um, I mean, I didn't know it existed until today, but uh, it was like a, another little dagger through the heart. Now, now you wish you'd, you'd never known it existed. Um, <laughs> yeah, true. I, I quite like the the kind of the the regressive playground approach of, of winner stays on, as it as it were. Um, and I suppose it it gives teams, or it might give teams a bit of something else, a bit of bit of bragging rights, and it probably makes more sense than the uh, world rugby rankings do. So, I mean, anything can make sense more sense than the world rugby rankings, couldn't they? So, who knows. Still, yeah, it's so a bit, bit good, of fun, good, and hopefully, good on them. Good on them for doing it. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. Uh, well, now it's time for us to talk about um, England Scotland. Uh, can we? Can we? Can we talk about the other match first? Uh, well, you want to talk about you? You want to talk about Ireland Wales first? Do you? Uh, well, I'd love to. Um, okay, then let's do that. 
Primarily because I was super impressed with Ireland and Wales was super shit. Um, and one of those things gives me pleasure. And it's not the Irish one. But, uh, <laughs> no, I- Ireland were like really good, really well. You could you could see, and actually there are some analogies with the, with the England-Scotland game, but you could see that, that they had a fairly well-defined game plan, like they always have done, and they delivered exactly to that game plan. Um, there was a lot of ring rows at first receiver, giving Sexton a bit more time to see what was in front of him. There was some some really good play around um, around the tight and they weren't afraid to to earn the right to go wide. And then when they went wide, they they looked fantastic with the ball. Um, so, yeah, I think I think whatever Farrell's doing over there, it's working well, it's really in, well. It's interesting, isn't it? Because for the last two years, Ireland have seemed not necessarily rudderless, but they've been going through that transition, that post-Schmidt transition where Farrell stepped in and it was a bit of a struggle for them to, to find a new identity. And they were in a bit of a transitional period. Um, but even with the, the old, you know, the, say the old guard of, of Sexton, um, you know, with uh, Aki, the likes so of Furlong and, uh, burn you know they they're starting to develop a real sense of identity again and i really enjoy the back row that back row of van der Fleer, um and oh god doris 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 doris, 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 doris that's it it's doris that the name has escaped me and jack conan is yeah. exciting <laughs> It's yeah. moved away from the, you know, for all the good work Peter Peter Omani has done for Ireland over the years and the irritant that he is, that is is a dynamic, exciting ball carrying back row that's going to give you go forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I mean, all, um, they all carry, don't they? The yeah. the Omani Ferris or O'Brien and the. South African chap, CJ. Yes, Stander, um, Ferris and O'Brien. That was that it was, was the last it, it was, exciting one they had, wasn't it? It was a lot of physicality there, but they, they weren't as mobile and they weren't as as perhaps exciting. But I think you're right, Russ, that Farrell's not, not come in and tried to kind of uh, copy Schmidt or, or be an extension of Schmidt. He's come in and tried to do his own thing, which is why it's taken a bit of time for them to, to almost get their heads around it. And and I think this is the thing that we forget a bit with international rugby that they're not with their coaches week in week out. They get limited amount of of face time, um, and you've always got that background of them being told different things at a club level. So a big change is always going to take a bit of time. But yeah, just the whole. So Gary Ringrose is a fantastic player. Using him really effectively as a decoy is as um, first receiver, I think was a, was a masterstroke really. They've, they've struggled to get, I know he's had a little bit of injury problem, but one thing I've noted in Farrell's tenure is that they've struggled to almost get Ringrose on the pitch or they haven't gone with Ringrose on the pitch. It's been a lot of Aki and Henshaw and, and Ringrose hasn't really got a look in. And, now he, he did, and on Saturday, he like you say, he looked you know every inch the the established international center, didn't he? But they yeah. they were, I think, what they were trying to do is um keep as few people 
in the sort of breakdown as, as they could, um, which gave them more runners. Um, and then they, they kind of um, identified what was the stress point in the Welsh defence, which was Adams at 13, being you know, hung out to dry, really, playing out of position. And they just overloaded him with, um, with op- options. He, he had four people to pick, pick who to tackle. Yeah. Um, any, you know, many, many times. Um, and they, they kind of, you know, all right, they identified that as a weakness, but you know, you've got a guy playing out of position and, and I think we'll probably touch on this with the England game as well, but in ring rows, you've got a guy who's an out and out outside center. Yeah. You probably couldn't really play him anywhere else. I am. Um, but, but, go on, but, ben. Sorry, but, carry on, Ben. But, but he's got that outside break. Um, that you know a classic centre would have, which came into play several times, um, and I think you know all of that Ireland side played well. I mean, um, uh, the the winger that scored the the, the two tries uh, was it is it um, Conway? I mean, I thought yeah. he was really good. Um, both props were were fantastic. I mean, Porter was an absolute menace. I mean, I think just showed what a miss he was for the Lions. Um, and, and as you say, that back row really played well, but like no, Sexton, it was like, it, it taken 10 years off him. Yeah. And uh, that's what I was going to say is as much as ring rose isn't an, an out and out outside center with the ball, he was standing at 10 quite a lot, but when he was standing at 10, he had, he had basically two options. He had hit a forward off his shoulder or out the back to Sexton. And it meant that Aki and Doris, and um, uh, Conan were running at Adams instead of running at Tompkins in the Welsh back row, mm. who would who would have tackled him far easier. Who, who, to be fair, I thought most of the Welsh back row actually played fairly well. I think they're, they're, they're very good. They're, yeah, yeah. they're good players. But, I mean, Tame Basham, who I mentioned last week, I think, he is brilliant. Yeah. I'm really impressed with Tame Basham. I, I, you know, Wayne Wright as well. He's decent and, and they are... You know, but they they're quite they're relatively lightweight, aren't they? Yeah, they're 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 in the Scotland back row mold more than the than the Ireland back row mold. They're they're relatively lightweight. They're there to be mobile and around the pitch, yeah. which which they did a decent job of. But I mean, as I, again, I I agree. I think Wainwright did a good job. But you stick Fal- a fit Falatel there, mm. it's a bit of a different ball game. You take Adams out and you stick a, a fit Jonathan Davis there. It's a bit of a different ball game, and I think Wales's problems all stem from the fact that they haven't. They're, they're missing a generation of players almost. Like there's, there are the the Eliases and the Wainwrights and the Bashams in some positions, but who've they had come through in the centres? Mm. No we we, really. we mentioned got... that the other week when they had. Um, uh, sorry, was it in the autumn where they had the the centres were just. They had um, Owen Williams and and Johnny McNichol, and you got Watkin. You've got yeah. um, Lloyd. Holmes. Well, they've stolen. Yeah, they've stolen Tompkins from England, and they've stolen Halaholo from somewhere else. Um, that's not saying that they shouldn't be playing for Wales, but the the point is that the Welsh um, the Welsh uh, conveyor belt of centres just isn't there. They're I'm, not coming through through not. the junior setups. No, they're um, not. But I mean, obviously, and, Davis and Halaholo were unavailable this weekend because why would you yeah. pick? Why would you pick one of the world, one of the world's, and I'm going to say this, 
currently one of the world's best wingers and finishers in Josh Adams and pick him at 13. Why would you think no. that that's a good idea? And they tried it with North as well. So this isn't a, a new problem with centres, but it, it's it's bonkers. Um, but yeah, it's... And if you look at other key positions, I think they're in the same... They're going to be in the same position in a few years' time. Like... Liam Williams and and Halfpenny, what's who's filling that gap when they're not there? I'm not sure they've got the quality of, of people coming through at fullback. Same in the second row, do they have the quality coming through? I'm not I'm not sure they do. Um, and I suppose yeah, the future for five years time is not looking massively rosy for Wales. No, and I did think that um, it was noticeable, and I know I've given him a fairly hard time over the over the years just how much of a galvanising effect Alan Wynn has for Wales, mm. just from a leadership perspective, um, because they just, I mean, they didn't know whether I mean, they were coming or going on Saturday. Yeah, and, and on Phil's point, they took a bit of a pasting in the under-20s as well, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, I think they'll be better next week. Still, it's fine, though, because... Uh... We're going to go. England's going to get, follow the um, the ring fenced route that that they have, and we'll be in the same situation in ten years' time. Yeah, I mean that doesn't that doesn't bode well, does it? Um, okay, well let's let's move on there. I mean, obviously Ireland move. They go to France on uh, on Saturday evening, which is going to be a brilliant game, isn't it? I mean, we'll we'll talk about France mm. briefly in, in a minute, um, but. You know, it's, a, it's certainly a mouth-watering contest, those two going at each other in, in Paris and having watched France just to the afternoon whilst they struggled a little bit. Um, early doors to get a bit of rhythm to get going. I mean, should we just cover that game off now quickly before getting into Scotland, England? It's probably wise. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was impressed with Italy for half an hour. Stuck to their task. They um, they did all right. Uh, they did all right. They, they're- now the same as they've been for years, though they they stay competitive because they're you know they're still international rugby players at the end of the day. Um, so you know they should at least be you know matching teams for work rate and sort of kind of basic skills at times. But they kind of they they, they a sort of lack a bit of of penetration in attack. You know the ball they don't have as many big ball carriers as other teams and, and they don't have quite as much um, magic in the back backs, although they, you know, they do have some youngsters coming through and hopefully they, you know, they're going to slowly get better in that, in that sort of respect. Um, but they just shoot themselves in the foot. They make some great shit decisions, don't they? You know, there was, they had a chance with a penalty and missed the line out and they had a chance Um they, they won a turnover on their own line. All they had to do is kick the penalty away and the fly half... Oh, taps it. Tapped, ran, kicked it away, and then the French came back at them. And, you know, the, the try that they conceded when they were, when they were ahead was, was a shocker. Um, no, the interception. It, yeah. I mean, great play by um, the French flanker. You know, that took a bit of holding on to that. Jaloche. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I just... It, it just gets a little frustrating because I think everyone wants Italy to do well. And um, 
Lloyd, Lloyd um, you know, our friend in uh, our correspondent in Bucharest, um, he watched um, the Georgia game. Yeah, Georgia Portugal, uh, wasn't it? Yeah, and he he said Italy would have absolutely smashed them. Um, so you know that that debate's perhaps been put to bed for a little while. Um, but it's it's just you know it's it's a little frustrating to watch because because you like like you said they're almost there at times you, you know they put five minutes together and then just give away a daft penalty or you know miss a, just miss an easy line out or or so, just something goes wrong or they lose patience and um in terms of france you know yeah they, it's a lovely it's a lovely there. little it's a lovely little run out for france that first game isn't it a lovely yeah. little bet into the tournament, home to Italy. You're almost guaranteed five points. Yeah, you might be rusty to start off with, which which they were, the French. It took them a little while to get going. Um, but once I mean, they did once, find their stride, you know. Once Penno got moving, it, he was impressive, wasn't he? <laughs> he is very good. I mean, across that bat line, I was impressed with, um, with Dante. I quite enjoyed, I thought he was good. In the in the the hard ball carrying twelve role, which released Fiku to do a little bit more on the outside. Then you got Penno. I mean Villiers, who I thought was a bit of a revelation in the autumn. Um, he's had a bit of a meteoric rise, hasn't he? He was playing in French Pro Two not so long ago, and then and now he's scoring hat tricks for France. I mean, yeah, he looks very very good. Uh, having Jaminet at fullback. Having the ability of him at fullback to then, you know, cover the whole the whole backfield against an Italian side who didn't really offer too much kicking, and then Untermac as well, and we not we like we didn't really even need to talk too much about Dupont because he didn't do very much really. It wasn't a you know a, a virtuoso performance from Dupont, but he didn't have to. He didn't have to because France are now less. Re- they, I, I think that genuinely France are less reliant on DuPont's magic and wizardry because they cover all bases so well. I mean, you talk about the the Irish back row of uh, Doris van der Fleer and Conan. Mate, Aldrit, Jelanche and um, Craw were unbelievable. Aldrit is unreal. He is like... Yeah, he's, he's, he's almost undersized, isn't he? Yeah, but yeah, He's yeah. just constant. And he... And he's like a bag of spanners, isn't he? He just, yeah. just all like angles and and so you know he's he's just constantly carrying and and the, their second row has always been quite underwhelming for quite Cumber- a long time. You know, Cumber- always, I'd always thought the French second row was cumbersome. cumbersome. Yeah, and and, and now you've got Wokey, and it, it's just it's just different gravy, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's he's a- so dynamic. It's a word that we've used so many times, or I, I feel like I use about 30 times in every podcast when we talk about internationals. It's balance. They've never had that balance in the second row. They've always had two big lumps of of, yeah. of second rows. Now they've got, a, I mean, Valence is like as good a big lump as there is out there. Yeah. But then you balance that off with, with Wokey, who is, as much as I hate to say it, one of those players, a bit like Laws, who, who has a lot of, flanker about them but can yeah. play very well in the second row oh, he's 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 the French Maratogi isn't he without making that direct comparison too much it, he they play in a very similar way they were both on the edge they're very athletic they're very dynamic 
They're both yeah, I think, really yeah. irritating. Like they, they look like irritants, you know, like they, they, right. get, they get under the skin of opposition. And in the that's, line, that's the comparison. Well. Is, yeah. He's so athletic. And, yeah. Unbelievable. And dynamic. Yeah. Um, you know, perhaps like you say, you need a lump with him, but yeah. they've got enough lumps to, they could probably pick 15 lumps. Yeah. From that French league. So, um, yeah, I think, yeah, you know, and, and I think it's, not, a, it's, it would be a bit disrespectful to, to just call Villelms a lump because he, yeah. he is a lot more than that. Yeah, but, he, that is but, fair. But he, he needs someone of that size. He's, 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 he's no Charlie Ewells. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> good from you, that. Okay. Well, um, as I say, it was easy for Fred. It was easy for yeah. Fred in the end. The, the frustrating thing with Italy is you hear it every year that they're building something that's really great and really positive. And it's just going to take time to come through. We've been waiting for it for 15 years. And it doesn't come through. And the under-20s, they don't look... I mean, they beat Scotland last year in the under-20s, but then Scotland got humped by everybody. Um, and they don't rely on under-20s to get their players. I think they've, they've had some good results in the World Cups, though, haven't they? I think. So, yeah, yeah that is... I don't know. It's maybe, maybe it's too big a gap for them to close at the moment. Maybe they are moving forwards, but the rest of the Six Nations as a group are, are just keeping far enough away from them. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a different, um, completely different era and, and it, it, you can't compare it too much, but they're doing a lot better than France did when France first came in. You know, yeah. at this stage, you know, so um, it, it is a big, you know, it is a big step. I mean, to be fair, the winger that's, I mean, that was a tremendous finish. And that he's the youngest try scorer in the championship for a very long time. So, um, so credit when credit's due, really. And Menacello, that was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Very nice in a cocktail. (laughs) (laughs) On a warm summer's day. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, To put it into context, Ben. To put it into context, twenty years after France joined the championship. Um, they played four and won two, lost two. And Italy had been in the Six Nations for 22 years. And, and, and not, long, not long after that, they were competing as Germany for a few years. So, um... <laughs> yeah. So right. they're, not, they're not quite at France's standards yet. No. Let's, uh, let's get off of, of Italy. Um, I'm going to say we'll look forward to France versus Ireland at the weekend. But Italy, who are... England's opponents who will hope to bounce back from a disappointing defeat. I mean, how was life in your household on, on Saturday evening, Phil? Uh, yeah, fine. Um, <laughs> Mrs. Farnbet has given up caring about rugby through years of Scotland being crap. So now they're, they're less crap. I don't need to get ribbed about it. But yeah, the father-in-law did ask whether I'd watch the rugby and I chose to ignore him. It's probably, probably for the best. Um, I mean, I mean, where do we start with with England? There, there's so many things that we can unpick. There's so many things we can talk about. Um, why don't we start with? Why don't we just? Why don't we start with selection? I mean, we we spoke about it a bit last week about who we thought he was going to pick. Um, nobody picked that they thought was going to pick Elliot Daly at 13, which. 
you could argue is his best position. So or, or, or Sam Simmons at eight. Or Sam Simmons at eight. Or Marchant on the wing with Daly at 13. There was all sorts of, of strange stuff. Now, we mentioned a minute ago about Wales picking Josh Adams at 13. Best, one of the best wings in the world. Certainly one of the best finishers in world rugby at the moment, Josh Adams, who scores tries for fun. Eddie Jones seems to have this fascination of square pegs and round holes, or maybe, maybe not square pegs, but pegs and round holes, but players who have an all-round ability to do a lot of different things. So... If you looked at England's backline at Saturday, you had Youngs and Smith, who were playing legitimately in their position. Then you've got one of the best 13s that we've had playing at 12. We've got a guy that's played the majority of his international career on the wing and at fullback at 13. We've got a guy who's played all of his club career pretty much at 13 on the wing. There's another guy who plays 10 or who you know is the ultimate utility back almost on the other wing and then you've got a legitimate fullback um is that ever going to be a recipe for success no yes no. yeah if you're playing malta um <laughs> but no not against a, a a legitimate opposition um uh, and i've dougie shot me down when i said this and i feel totally vindicated in saying that marcus smith needed a hard ball carrier outside him because he missed that option. There wasn't that option. Be that Dombrant playing at eight, giving him an option not off first phase, or be that Tuolangi, um, Atkinson, uh, even Marchant as a as a harder ball carrying option, and Ollie Lawrence. I don't really care who, who it is. When you've got, uh, I can't remember, I think it was Dunkey who said it on the um, Twitter group chat. That entire backline was a was a um, backline full of kickers and footballers. So that's all you're ever going to get is footballers. Um, there's no there's no intrigue or disguise. And saw it in the first twenty minutes. Um, England didn't kick the ball anywhere near as much as you expected them to. But all they did was they passed the ball out wide. And there's it's it's so easy to defend against well, what's, because, what's when the first because there's no other viable options. You've got to earn well, the right to go wide, and they didn't do it. They just when when they um when they actually managed to work Simmons or Ludlam into the midfield, they actually got a bit of change out of it. But because of the Scottish back row being a bunch of menaces, they they didn't do it enough. Um and and the the lack of a straight line guy was was absolutely noticeable and and I was 100% with you the other week as well Phil you know um I, I I think we may have like when me and Russ just started gibbering to each other at the end last week we might have hit on something and that we had in English rugby these centers for probably 10 years from when Will Greenwood retired that were just brick walls that ran in a straight line and tackled and I think um coaches probably from quite a young level were trying not to produce just that kind of centre. Jamie, so Jamie anyone, Noon. Yeah. So so someone that could play with ball skills, they didn't just say, all right, fly half or full back. They were like, right, we'll make a 12 out of you. Um, and, and I think as the years have gone on now, all our centres are getting smaller and more, more um, 
interchangeable as a 12, 13 or, or 10. I mean, when, we've got, and, when, and I think the big lads were put at six or at, on the winger. Like now yeah. you've got huge wingers everywhere. And, um, and I think it's, it's perhaps gone a little bit too far in that you know, if, if you went around the premiership now, there's very few big centres. You've got Atkinson and Tuolagi that are English qualified, and then you've, you've got your Esther Heisens. But... Devoto's a hard ball-carrying centre. He's, mm. not, he's not a ball-playing centre. Um, I reckon every team would have somebody who would, who would fit that mould, albeit they might not be top class. They would offer an opportunity. I mean, Ollie Lawrence was, was there not that long ago. Um, when have you ever looked at a game where Brad Barrett's played or Tulangi or Jamie Roberts or Dealende and gone, or Manonu and gone, oh Christ, they would have been much better with Elliot Daly playing in their position instead. <laughs> it just doesn't happen because they, they offer something. You might go, oh, they'd look quite good with Elliot Daly. And I, I wouldn't because I don't think he's anywhere near as good as people think he is. Um, but nobody would ever look at it and go, what we need is another ball player in there when we've got the best in the premiership who we've stopped allowing him to, to play ball because he's going to play formulaic. Um, and we've got a, a world-class 13. And you're right, um, Russ, you've got Max Malins, who's a, who's a ball player as well out on the wing. Like, uh, you, what we didn't what, need is another ball player. We, we touched on it with um, Ringrose. Ringrose is a 13. He's a 13 to his fingertips. And he, he played like a 13. Aki is a 12 to his fingertips, and he played like a 12. But we had three, four, probably, what you could call 12 and a halves or 13 and a halves. And they all just were a little bit confused, like singing off different song sheets. And if you look at how difficult Ireland made life for Josh Adams, who very rarely plays 13 and how relatively easy England made life for Chris Harris, who plays 13 all the time and defends that channel as well as anyone. It, it, they just needed someone to fix it, yeah. to, to just bash some holes. And, yeah. and, and I don't want to be that guy, but Tuolaki I, I, came on and absolutely yeah, did, yeah. smashed Esther Hazen well, and the, the made two or three more big hits. The, the positive thing is... The fact that we're playing Italy this weekend, I think, gives Tuolaghi another two weeks out of the squad. Yeah. Leave him and out. I think leave him out of the squad for this week and then bring him back in for the game in, in two weeks' time. And um, on the Wednesday before the game, he'll pull his hamstring. Well, well and that I, happens, I'm happens. not I'm not there, I'm not one of these sort of, you know, people that are sat at checking him going, Tuolaghi's the best player in the world, but they just need someone who can do what he does. But, and in the premiership. He's the one that does it the best, so you might but as given, well pick him. Given that he wasn't fit enough to play that game, you pick Atkinson there because he's the best at that kind of role who's available. Yeah. There are no, there have, there's never been a top quality international side that hasn't had a hard running centre. Now they might be playing at thirteen and not twelve, but there's never been a side that's dominated um, in the way that the, the player pool says that England should be dominating against the, the Scotland player pool mm. without a hard-running 12. And you, com you compound that even worse by having Sam Simmons, who's an amazing eight, 
but he's not a big hard ball carrying eight. Um, and having Don Brandt sat on the bench, well, I think, I will, what I will I think, say is I thought Simmons actually played really well. I'm not, um, I'm not, I'm not criticizing him. I'm just saying that. But he wasn't. Balance, he wasn't the balance imp- the team. It's all wrong. Yeah, he wasn't as impactful as maybe he could have been. Or sorry, I don't think he was impactful as maybe Don Brandt would have been from the start for that very reason, Phil. Yeah. And he probably my, would have been more impactful off the bench. My 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 view on um, Simmons, and he, he was far better in this game than and probably his other England starts. I think he's a player that can win you the game, but he's perhaps not a player that can dominate a game. Yeah, I think he right. he he fades out for you know five ten minutes sometimes, and even for Exeter, he you, you could forget he's playing and then he'll pop up and but score a try. Up. Which he is, pops up in the yeah. right places at the right time. Yeah, which is a, which is a great skill to have. But like if you think about against um, New Zealand in the World Cup, um, Curry and Underhill between them dominated that game. Yeah, yeah, I think um, so. I I um. Saw an extra game. I was at an extra game, and he had um, he had a head bandage on for some reason. And because he had a head bandage on, you start noticing him a, a bit more. And I think he probably does a lot more work than he necessarily gets credit for. Um, but you don't spot it necessarily. I, I, I um, don't doubt it, Phil, because he's a, he's a brilliant player. And and I think if you if you had decided to turn him into a seven, you'd have made a seven out of him easily. Yeah. Um, but. But I think some other players are more involved, more effectively, more often. But, but given that you know that um, Courtney Laws is gone, which who is a massive physical presence, he's out of the team. Um, you're not having a, a physical presence in the centres. Having him playing, just it, the whole balance is just completely well, wrong. I, I don't know whether I agree with that. Because L- I thought Ludlam offered a large Ludlam. amount of physicality. He I thought Ludlam hard. was great. Yeah, I thought. Uh, but I just, I think psychologically, maybe that that's a factor. But but in in actual, I think that Ben is right. The where Simmons Simmons will go and he will get the ball more towards the midfield. They will try and look for Simmons to get pockets in the midfield. Whereas sometimes we didn't have any or England didn't have any of those close contact ball carriers who can punch you those two or three lines, yeah. sorry, those two or three yards near the contact area to then enable you to get that front foot ball to hit it in the midfield. England were trying to hit that front foot ball in the midfield without having front foot ball. Simmons runs at gaps or around front row players. He doesn't run at people and over people. Yeah. And, and that's what we missed is somebody to run at people. Yeah, you need you need someone who's who's going to do it. Um, I mean, so for for all of the the selection debates, for all of the you know, I say shortcomings that England had in regards to physicality, we have to praise the way that Scotland played. Um, now, without without sounding too harsh. England made it very easy for Scotland to play the way they played, especially defensively, as in when Scotland were defending. Um, but in attack, England also made it very easy for Scotland. I mean, the, the, the first try for White was some of the poorest 
defence I've seen from an England team in a long time. Um, missed tackles, big gaps, no tracking. And it seemed, it seemed to take England a little bit by surprise, which it really shouldn't have done when they've got the likes of Hogg and, and Darcy, uh, Darcy Graham. Who, who is a very good player, by the way. I think I always used to think he was a bit small. He looked like he's put a bit of size on. And his running lines all day were brilliant. And having... what The one thing I thought they did do well is um, in tight situations, Van der Merwe came looking for work and almost turned him, himself into their straight running. Because Sam Johnson's not a big ball-carrying 12 they utilised Van der Merwe sometimes back on the inside in those tight situations. I, I thought he was really good. He was really um, good. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, I think Phil might disagree a little bit, but I thought it was almost like a team that, you know, a football team that soaks up a lot of pressure and then just hits on the break. Um, because England were, um, they must have had the ball for 20 minutes pretty much before Scotland scored. Scotland got the ball, scored with almost their first attack. And it was almost like, you know, you know, when you see it on the telly and it's like, oh, the goalkeeper's picked the ball out of the net with his first touch, you know? Yeah. Um, and um, I think as well, I mean, yeah, they missed tackles and I thought Ezekiel had a rough day. Um, and and I, I didn't blame Marchant too much. He, he was sort of, well, March was dry there a, for the, a rock and a hard place. Yeah. There's not a lot he could do there. Um, but, you know, that was a great finish. Their other try came off two great kicks and there was a, a real good carry by Van der Merwe between the two kicks. And and I bet, well, we're probably going to debate that in a minute. <laughs> well, but, no, that's like, there's nothing to debate, is there? Yeah, no. I, 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 on the day, I thought the... Um, Penalty try was harsh, but actually now having seen what the actual law is, I mean, it's to me, it was, yeah, yellow card. So what is the actual law? Well, once the penalty is committed, it's that that player is then non-existent, isn't he? So you've got a guarantee. So what you've got to bear in mind is you've got a guarantee that Graham is going to catch that ball from that cross kick. Well, he's... Probably, isn't it? Is he probably so, going to catch so it? Yes, a he penalty, is. A penalty try is awarded between the goalposts if foul play by the opposing team prevents a probable try from being scored or scored in a more advantageous position. So, but what's the what's the alternative? If he doesn't bat the ball into touch, if Luke Cowan-Dickey doesn't bat the ball into touch, the alternative is he catches it or Graham catches it and he tackles him. Yeah, but I, I think what you have to take into account is once he's committed foul play yeah. or a, a, a penalty offence, it wasn't foul play, it was a penalty offence. Um, well, if it's, he, not foul, have, if it's not foul play, it can't be a penalty try. So it is foul play. All right, well, it's foul play, but it's not... When we say foul play, mean, we're yeah, usually yeah. talking about play. Yeah. punching someone in the face or something yeah. like that. But I think you have to take him completely out of account. So if, if, if Cowan Dickey isn't there, then... It's, li- it's likely it's a, this. Yeah. It's it's total semantics, really. 
Um, and it's, Cow and Dicky would have been better off trying to catch it the ball yeah. and giving the ball to Darcy and just well, letting him score. He'd have been better off not trying to catch it and just making a tackle. Well, yeah, or, I mean, or, or I mean, letting I, it hit his head. He'd been better off doing absolutely anything. But I don't, um, I don't think he needs to apologise. I mean, it was just heat of the moment, completely out of position, and he 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 just got his jump wrong. Knew he wasn't going to catch it and just kind of well. Had a had a brain melt, but you know, yeah. you so, can't argue with the decision. I did, uh, I did at the time quite vociferously, but um, now, now so, I think about it. <laughs> so Matt Matt Williams, the uh, former Scotland coach, said that it shouldn't have been a penalty try, but he's not a referee; he's a coach, and I don't really care what they say. Um, it, it it largely doesn't matter um, because England didn't deserve to win that game. Absolute facts. facts. You know, um, right, do you know what? Do you know what the thing that got me most though was? Um, it wasn't that. It was the penalty that came next because whoever it was, I'm assuming it was Eddie Jones, decided he'd be clever and leave Marla to throw in. For yeah, what out. a fucking bullshit yeah. decision! The first yeah. thing you need to do when is get the hooker on, and as soon as there is a line out. Like I, I get not putting a hooker on pre-line because you know for a fact that that Karen Dickey's not coming back on the pitch. Yeah, that's right. So, so why not then? As soon as as soon as that line out goes, you make the substitution. You have Jamie George ready. So as soon as that ball goes into touch, and yeah, you put a line out. He's coming on. So Jamie, you're not you're not coming on just yet. But if there is a line out, you are on straight away. That's just what happens. I, we I can thought, away, stop. But... Well, yeah. you, you could I do, thought, but you could slow down the game. Ludicrous. And you could slow down the game because what they actually did by with Marla making that what whatever that was, um, it only resolved to speeding the game up at a point where England really needed to just slow it down. Yeah, they, and, and they, for all for all the things we said about Marla, I I felt sorry for him in that situation. I'm I'm not going that far. No, no. Um, um, can I back, come back to what you said earlier, uh, Ben? Because you're right, I do disagree with you. Um, there, there's been comments about how Scotland were, were clinical in attack. And they really weren't. Whenever they got the ball in the first half, they basically gave it away. They, And I don't mean that they, they knocked on or whatever. I mean, they, they, their attack ran out of steam and they kicked the ball away. They only managed to score a try because... England missed four tackles, and I'm not putting Marching completely off the hook. I think they would have scored anyway, but I think his his attempt was relatively poor there. Um, and then in the second half, yeah, they they were running us ragged for that for that second try. But the reality is, if Karen Dickey not 99 times out of 100, he doesn't have a brain fart there. He either catches the ball or he waits for Graham to catch it, and then he tackles them. They don't score a try. So we gifted them two tries. At, at worst, you're giving away. If he caught, if he tried to catch it and caught it, the the probably the worst happens is he's given away a penalty for holding on. Um, yeah, or yeah, or he gets dragged into touch or yeah. something like that. So we've 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 gifted them the vast majority of their points. And other than that, I, I, I agree with what you're saying about Van der Merwe. I agree with what you're saying about Graham. 100% they defended what was in front of them perfectly. What was put in front of them to defend was pretty 
week. Um, but I just don't think that they were that impressive. I just think it was more a case that England weren't. Yeah. And I think a better I mean, team, a, better quite, team, quite a on- more organised team, put Scotland away on Saturday easily. I mean, quite honestly, I think if, if you'd have said to me before the game, it's Scotland are going to win by three points, I would probably have said, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, you know, I don't think that's the greatest England team that's ever taken the pitch. Um, I, I just... England had that game won, though, I think. I yeah, think... they did. They did. I, I think substituting Smith, with... and, and you, you know I'm a big fan of George Ford, but I think substituting Smith just gave such a... Uh, momentum, momentum switch because England had just got on top. Smith was starting to to grow into the game more and more, and but he's he's got an aura about him now that he's going to pull something out of the bag. Yeah. And just by taking him off, it was it wasn't the fact that Ford came on and played badly. It was just you've you've taken the like um, form player off, and 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 the. The piece of play that I think showed that was when England kicked into the corner um, and Hogg took an absurd risk to keep the ball on. And he could easily have conceded a try from that or at least a five-metre scrum. And I, I'm not quite sure what Malins was trying to do. He kind of slid past him yeah. um, and let him get up. And, and I just think, you know, that showed that Scotland were just sort of teetering on the edge there and then they... That might have been just after um, Smith went off or, or not. I, ca- I can't quite remember, but it was at that point. And I think they got a sort of psychological boost. And it, it was almost like, as well, a, a sort of declaration that, well, a declaration. We are, you know, we're happy with what we've got now. We're going to sit on the back foot and defend. Um, and it, it really didn't work out at all. I think the the overarching thing for me um, isn't anything about any of the players that were picked or how they played. To me, the, the overarching thought and feeling is just that Eddie Jones is tactically inept. How he's got to the position he's got with the with the player pool he's got available and the quality and skill set that's there, how he keeps making cock-up after cock-up after cock-up. And we have these same conversations about how he's, he's made tactical mistakes all along. The only thing he's good at is convincing the RFU to keep paying him. I, he, is, he, is, he is the Boris Johnson of the rugby world. I think Kaiser, every, Kaiser um, I think every, every uh, mistake he makes is also to do with him trying to be too clever. Yes, I agree. I agree. Like England, England looks so disorganized in the back in the back division because, in my opinion, none of them had clearly defined roles because they were all trying to do a little bit of everything. Whereas you, when you have a Tuilangi or you have a game plan, you know, I'm not. Sometimes, you know, we we criticised England a lot for the kicking game plan. Um, two autumns ago or you know autumn covid yeah, autumn we didn't well i did yeah um <laughs> but at least it was they were winning though weren't they they were but at least it, it was a game it was a game plan like well, and it was and it was it was visible it was a visible game plan and if it, a game it, plan doesn't work then then you've got to look to change it in any given situation what i didn't see on saturday 
was any sort of formula or formulaic game plan that they were looking to to structure to work to. I I think it was to start with it was shift it wide and then go for a tactical kick, which is a bit of a hybrid of two bad game plans. But either way, I just don't think he's got he's he's never adaptable. Never have we had a game where England have played as 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 abjectly as they did for bits of that first half, and then they've come out in the second half and played better. They controlled the ball. They just had zero penetration with it at all. And then in the second half, nothing changed for the positive. And that's typical Eddie Jones is they go in at halftime with some challenges and they come out with more challenges. And and I know um, Stuart, like, pop, you know, he's, he's quite often on the wing to deal with box kicks and stuff like that. But who who are your two backs who are, you would probably say aren't going to be changed? Is your fly half, who is an all-out fly half, and your fullback, who's an all-out fullback. Whereas everyone else, you could say, well, Slade could be playing 12 or 13 next week. Marchant could be playing 13 or 14. Malins could be playing any of the positions across the back line. And at the risk of belabouring the subject, I think that's the problem. Yeah. I mean, like having Quirk and... um, Quirk, Randall and um, Noel on the bench and basically not using them at all, I think is pretty deplorable. Um, I think you've got a player in Malins who was almost born to wear the 23 shirt, I think, as a utility back. He is the the ultimate player to do that at the moment, a bit like I think Elliot Daly was for a period mm. of time. Um, Malins overall had a... Decent game. Yeah, but, but he shouldn't. Yeah. He, sh- he shouldn't be starting on the wing for England. The, there are better actual wingers to start on the wing for England. The same as there are better actual centres than playing people out of position in the centre or playing centres out of position in the centres. If that makes sense. Um, as we've, as I say, as we've already alluded to, we've sort of come full circle now. Um, well, and I think we, I think we should probably as just, we head to Italy, finish off Ben Youngs. Um, yeah, he's been playing a lot better these these last couple of seasons. I still th- I still think his his speed of delivery is slow. Yeah. I don't think he made a difference significantly either way. I do think if Harry Randall would have come on with twenty minutes to go, he might have made a difference. I uh, I struggled he's to not, see. I struggled to see not where a Ben Youngs. I struggled to see where Ben Youngs fits in to the next World Cup. So with that in mind, why aren't we playing Quirk and Randall now all the time? Um, in the commentary box, that's where he fits in. Yeah, whatever. He can go wherever he wants. I mean, you, people will argue, oh, yeah, he's still got plenty to offer. He's offered a lot and he's given a lot. Fair play to him. He's had a decent career. But we need to move on. We, we moved on with Marcus Smith. That took a bit of time, probably too long. Um, we need to move on. And that is Quirk. It is Randall. It is whoever else is out there. Um, Van, Van Portfleet. Van Portfleet, yeah, whatever. Um, moving forward to Italy this weekend, do you see him making many, if any, changes? I know Courtney Laws is hopeful he'll be back fit. Um, is it worth is it worth making wholesale changes? 
or is it is it do we bring people in to take to Italy that are, that are fringe and we go you know and we we try things or do we actually just need to get back in the wagon and, and get a, a victory? I'd I'd like to see Launch free involved um, because I think he does add he he would he would have added um, I'd I'd like I think he'll probably start with Don Brandt and he has to change the midfield. Whether he will or not is up to him. But for me, he absolutely has to change that midfield. I'd be willing to bet he makes no changes unless Laws is back fit. But just because he's bloody-minded. What what would I do? I mean, I'd I'd put Atkinson in. I think I'd let Tuolagi play two more club games. I don't know. What's more beneficial for him to spend a week with England and then... He knows go back it. to his club and play a week or 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 play two club games. Um, so me, I, I mean I think I'd put Atkinson and Slade. I'd probably play I think I'd play one of the wingers. I'd you know, play one Noel the, on the wing instead you play, of Marchant. You play one of the wingers on the wing. Well, yeah, I'd play a winger on the wing, I think. I, I think about Hassel Collins or Radlan, yeah. I think, just to give him a run, you know, just to <laughs> I think he's got to eventually pick. I mean, yeah, he, he hasn't. I mean, look at it. He hasn't picked a winger. He hasn't got a winger. He's got Malins and Marchant. Neither of yeah. them are wingers. So play Rad- a winger. Radwin scored a great try at the weekend for Newcastle yeah. as well. Fantastic. I'd like. I'd like to see. I'd like to see Hassel Collins or, or Radwin get a game in Italy. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to see Jack Noel play. I think Jack Noel offers a, a real point of difference as a winger, but also somebody who can do something different. But he is. I mean, I mean, a, I, a winger. I think if Noel had come on in in that game, he would have at least have. Like you say, been a bit different and try, maybe tried something that that that, that might have made a difference. I think, uh, yeah. If, if Laws is fit, I think you know he will play him. Um, I it'd be interesting to see if he plays him in the row or in the back row though, because you know as I say, Ezekiel didn't have the best of games. Um, back row all did okay. Um, I mean, I he think could, he could. could I think he could leave the back row and have, especially against Italy, he could put Laws back in in the second row. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind Don Brandt at six with Simmons and Curry. I I could see that working okay because you know a, a scrum a scrum in your own twenty two. You could put Don Brandt at eight, and then you know middle of the field, give Simmons a you know, pick up and run there. Maybe have Don Brandt at eight in a. Defensive yeah. scrum, maybe you know, you, you don't have to keep them in their same positions. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know what that was. <laughs> no, nor do I. Um, yeah, I just, I, I do don't think, think I don't I do think he'll make a lot of changes if you're going to look at laws as a six, which I'm fairly laid back about it. Launchery's had two games back and has played really well and I just think he's reliable enough that you could drop him in there to free up Laws to go to the back row. Yeah, I mean Launchbury is is better than Johnny Hill, I, I think. And and so when he's when he's fit, yeah. Yeah. So so if if someone's an injury replacement for Johnny Hill, I think if you've got Launchbury firing all the cylinders, bring him in. But it's the same argument as to Alagi, is he? What what what's better for for him if he's gonna if you want him to play against Wales, then what is the better option 
go to Italy or, or play with your club, you know? Yeah, he played he played 40 minutes against Saracens and played 60 minutes against Chiefs. So yeah, it was I don't know, it, it is I think if it was France, I wouldn't be saying that, but it is Italy. Um and it might be a, a, they say it, it could be an opportunity to to get him back into the international fold 60 minutes, you know, or even off yeah. the bench to 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 work him back into it. But yeah, you're right. Um, can he make changes? Can he make changes from the original squad? I think he can do what he wants, can he? Mm. Yeah. Know. I mean, he, he usually does. So, yeah. uh, you know, I w- wouldn't put it past him. Uh, we had, did have a couple of uh, a couple of other comments on, on the Twitter, which was, Hamish Watson has made 163 tackles in a row. I know there was a stat about Johnny Hill a few years, Johnny, uh, Johnny Gray a few Johnny years Gray. ago that made a load of tackles. But for Hamish Watson, there's a seven. Making 163 tackles without missing one's pretty impressive. He's a he's an absolute machine. He's um, amazing. And yeah. Um, that's why you need somebody big running at him so they'll keep him on the ground for a little bit longer. Yeah. And the uh the other thing that Nick Johnson mentioned was uh did England suffer from having an, an ex- inexperienced captain? Do you think that makes any difference? Uh Tom Curry being a captain. I think they suffer. <laughs> I think they potentially, but I think they suffered more from not having a game plan. The right players. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) They suffered more from selection. I do. I will say though, like I mentioned about um, Alan Wynn's leadership experience uh, in that Wales side. When you looked at that England team, there wasn't, I mean, even with Owen Farrell in it, as much as people have their, their gripes about Farrell, you know, who's leading that team. I did think, yeah, but, times, but times, played, yeah, you know, he has enough of those kind of games where we've ended up losing them. That yeah. makes me think. Oh that, no, no, it's not not. It was more of a wider point that than than specifically yeah, at yeah. Curry. I'm not. I'm not having to go at Tom Curry. I don't think there's any any reason to. Um, but I just thought in general. I mean, even with Courtney Laws in the autumn, you kind of knew who was dragging that that team along, and yeah, I don't know. Just maybe a little lack of leadership. Are people are the people in that leadership group stepping up? That's that's the only question. That... Don't know. <laughs> and then I'll cough and mute myself. All right. Well, let's let's move on. There was a, a premiership, a full round of premiership fixtures this week. Um, didn't see too much of it, unfortunately. Um, but Wasps beat Exeter at Sandy Park, last minute try by Palawa Dogwu. Um which has really hit the Chiefs. You know, Chiefs slipped down to seventh. Um, Wasp yeah, leaped them. I think they they are down to their bare bones in the pack. Chiefs are they they're down to kind of eighth, ninth choice second rows. Hannes Kirsten starting at second row, who is an out and out flanker. Um, I think actually, oh, I put it on the group when I, when I saw the team sheets, I'd have been quite happy if you'd have offered two points for that game because yeah. Wasp, Wasps had pretty much their first choice team out and, and Chiefs, as I say, backs backs looked pretty strong, but in the pack, they were down to the bare bones. Yeah, I mean, I do, as I say, I do think, I mean, Rob Bass is never going to admit it and, and they're never going to, extra never going to get to a point where they're saying, oh, well, you know, top four doesn't really matter. But if ever there was going to be a period of time where they needed to regroup and reassess and, you know, they've been in the top four, I mean, five, six, seven seasons in a row. I can't remember exactly how many, how many it is, but 
is a lot of, of seasons on the bounce in the playoffs. They've made four finals on the bounce, haven't they? I think. So, yeah. you know, it's it's uh, there had to come to a period a period of time where where they would miss out, and it looked legitimately looking like this season could be could be a time for them. But you know, there's there's a long hey, way to it- go. At least they haven't missed out because they've been systemically cheating and got relegated. <laughs> oh well, I mean, talking of uh, talking of that, Saracens beat Bath forty points to three, which is hardly a surprise um, for your Bath team, Ben. Uh, Bristol beat Newcastle at home thirty-seven twenty-one, and Leicester beat Worcester thirty-six sixteen. Friday night, Gloucester beat London Irish, and then on Sunday, uh, Sale beat Harlequins at. Harlequins and I watched a bit of this game and sale for all of sales good stuff um Harlequins were pretty poor I must admit like lots of handling errors lots of just needless penalties lot a lot of error strewn stuff from uh, from Harlequins um but Ben you did mention the return of Manu uh he he swiftly sat down Esther Hazen on a crash ball, didn't he? That was pretty delicious. Yeah, I mean, he didn't do much with ball in hand, but, you know, he just came on and I think enjoyed himself knocking people about. And I think there were three three hits that the commentators really enjoyed. Um, yeah, we got to be careful of sort of making him the sort of be-all and end-all of it, but... You know, Esther Heisen's been flying all season and uh, he was flying backwards once he got hit. And I think, I just think we need uh, to to sort of jazz the team up a little bit. And, and, you know, on form, he's unbelievable. So, you know, and and that team, not only is it crying out for him, but it's always worked so much better with him in it. Yeah. Um, You know, for years, the game plan was based on him and... Um, you know, it it didn't look like it was this week, but maybe that was just because he wasn't available. Yeah. Well, it didn't like it was. It was based around anybody this week. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh. And that's it. There is more Premiership this weekend, as we mentioned. Uh. The Six Nations hits back on Saturday with uh, Wales against Scotland, and then France versus Italy. England go to Italy. France against Ireland, England go to Italy on Sunday. Um, on the Premiership, the two games on Friday: Bristol, London Irish, and Leicester versus Saints. On Saturday, we've got Chiefs, Gloucester, Sale, Worcester, Wasp, Bath. Sorry. And on Sunday, we've got Saracens versus Harlequins. Um, any other any other rugby stuff you guys want to talk about? Um, so yeah, uh, I got reported to the Cornwall Rugby Football Union. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. For for allowing one of my players allegedly to, well, got reported because, um, uh, one of my players under nines was allegedly punching one of the Launceston under nines. Brilliant. One of my players was kicking them and I did nothing about it. But the really interesting thing was their coach came up to me and, and I'm sure this is 50% of it. The other 50% being because we reported their under 15s because one of our under 15s had bite marks on his inner thigh. Um, but their coach came up to me and went, 
all five of the other players playing on the pitch say they saw that your player punch them. To which I replied, I find that quite difficult to believe, bearing in mind that the alleged punch happened behind my back and all five of the other players on the pitch were in front of me watching the ball that was going in the opposite direction. So I basically, so he said, oh, are you saying my players are lying? And I went, no, you're saying your players are lying. I'm just saying what they said didn't happen. Um, but yeah, so the CRFU, I think, have taken a fairly dim view of it and, and gone, it's fucking rugby, grow up. Oh, sorry, uh, <laughs> taken a, a dim view of him rather than of you. Him. Yeah, Brilliant. yeah, of me, yeah. Um, and then went down to Red Ruth. How, how did you find Red Ruth, Russ? I wasn't there, mate, thankfully. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm aware well, it was wet. It was wet, but um, they uh, they provided a ref for the under nines game, which I thought was impressive of them, a neutral ref. Excellent. But but yeah, it it was a lovely, really enjoyable day in the way that rugby should be. So, Red Ruth, well done, Launceston. You can fuck off. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it's uh, it's always impressive, like under nines. Like if they're having a bit of a scrap at under nines, brilliant. Yeah, on with so, it. Yeah. What's the problem? As long as it wasn't five on one. No, no, they're they're big guys. Spent the whole time being an absolute shit house and pushing our kids after the tackles and pushing their face into the mud. Um, and uh, yeah, it may have been one of our players thought he'd had enough of it, or it may not. I don't know. I didn't see it, it was behind me. Well, if it's behind you, mate, you haven't got eyes in the back of your head, have you? You can only exactly. give what you can see. Indeed. Excellent. Um, well done, uh, Ben. Any other business? Nah. Nah, okay, fair enough. Nah. I don't know. <laughs> no, any other business? <laughs> no, any other non-rugby related business? I've never got any other, any, I usually remember it once Doug does his for a while and I usually remember one. Um, Cracking one three weeks ago, I've just forgotten it now. So Yeah. I but, can't remember. I had one to bring with me and I've, I've forgotten, um, I've forgotten about what it is. It was a little, a little moan oh. about something, but I can't remember. Oh yeah, I'll have a little moan. Um, Went last weekend to a friend's 40th up in Bath, which was very nice. Um, the Her husband had uh, spent a reasonable chunk of money on it. We were in the Abbey Hotel in Bath, around the back of the Abbey, funnily enough. Um, but I went to go and buy a little round of drinks, bought, bought Mrs. Farmvet a gin and tonic, one of her friends a gin and tonic. Thought I'd treat myself at 12 o'clock and got myself a little cheeky margarita. And it was £45. Wow. Exactly. So those are the only drinks I bought all night. I mean, I think, that margarita I think I just, must have been that. It wasn't. The margarita, was, on the, bar. the margarita was cheaper than the gin and tonics. Wow. Yeah. I will say, for, for the rugby on Saturday, Bristol was absolutely packed. And it was good. Was it? Like, it was hard to get a seat anywhere to watch it or all the pubs were busy. So, and it was good to see things getting back to normal. I, um, I lived in Bristol for years, as, as you know, and what six nations games were always just the highlight of the year because so many, um, it's a rugby town anyway, and you've got so many Welsh people there. So, um, so there was always some opposition to England, no matter who they were playing, which always made the pubs more interesting. And it's just, a, just a great place to watch rugby really. Yeah, it was good. It was good. I mean, bar the result, it was it was a good night. And, and my friend, oh, I random like, you know, when you stay at a friend's house or somewhere unfamiliar, and I got up in the middle of the night to go to the toilet, bearing in mind that I've been drinking. Rough, you didn't, well, 
You didn't piss in his water. No, no, I didn't. No, it's, it, I mean, I'll let you decide whether it's better or worse than that. Um, he, I had to take him home and put him to bed at uh, nine o'clock because he literally couldn't stand up. Um, so I, I, we carried him home, put him to bed. So I'm there at his house. It's like half past nine. I'm like, well, I might as well go to bed as well then. Obviously, I've been drinking all day. I got up at like half past two for, a, for an old man wee. And I didn't quite know where I was because I obviously had a, had a few anyway. And and I couldn't find the door handle to open the door. And somehow I'd managed to not only not find the door handle, but I've fallen over in the alcove bit where the, the door is and between the alcove and the bed. And I've smashed my head on something and twisted my knee. So I'm laying on the on the bedroom floor. And, and because I've been drinking, I've obviously got a bit of a, a sweat on in my forehead and I've banged my head. And all I can think of is dark and it is, oh my God, I'm, I'm bleeding out of my skull. But it's, <laughs> it's, but it's, it's just sweat. So I finally managed to find my way to the toilet and found this tiny little cut on my forehead. But I, I had an egg on, my, on the front of my head um, from where I banged. I still didn't know where I was. And um, there was there was blood all down his nice white wall where I obviously scraped my head all the way down it. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was Saturday night. And did you finally find somewhere to have a piss? Uh, yeah. By the time I dragged myself, by the time <laughs> his I, trousers, yeah, by the time I dragged myself back up and, and worked out what was going on, I switched the light on and then found the door handle and then realized that I had cut my head and, uh, and I've really hurt my knee. Like to the point where it's still really sore today. So there you go. Don't drink, kids. It's not cool. Um, right, that'll do, shall it, for, for this week. We'll get back next week. Oh, I wanted to say well done to Douglas for his um, YouTube uh, debut last week. For the RAF versus Chinna. I thought it was excellent. Keep your eye out for more stuff on that and make sure you're supporting all of that sort of stuff. There's going to be more to come. I'm quite sure. Um, I know he can't make tonight. And other than that, we will see you all next Monday for more mauling over. Um, oh, actually, while I remember, I wanted to say thank you to the rugby paper. Um, I don't know if any of you did see this, but the rugby paper last Wednesday, they law or they, they were going to launch a new podcast with Jeremy Guscott and, and a couple of other people. And you know what they were going to call it? Mauling It Over. The Rugby Paper podcast was going to be called Mauling It Over. And thank you to some of our listeners who uh, who jumped on straight away and pointed out to them and us that there was already a, a, an established <laughs> award-winning podcast called Maul Over. And they decided to take the tweet down and change the name almost immediately. And not only that, the guy from the Rugby Paper rang me he messaged me on Twitter and he rang me to apologize and say the last thing that they wanted to do was, was to step on anyone's toes and they didn't realize. And, you know, it, it wasn't their intention, you know, especially for smaller independent podcasts, they weren't trying to, to shove us out of the market. So, you know, all's well that ends well, really. And they say it's not often not the severity of the mistake, but it's how you deal with it afterwards. And, uh, and they were brilliant about it. So fair play to them. Good. Yeah, good, good, good for them. Um, mm. It was quite uh, humorous 
when about an hour after it went up, there were seven comments and they were all from listeners of this pod going, from all of our seven listeners. I was going to say all of our <laughs> listeners did comments. <laughs> but yeah, there you go. So we're, we're still, we're still around, but uh, we'll be back next week for more, uh, for more chat and hopefully uh, some good games this weekend. So go well. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.